Holy is the name of the Lord. Holy. What an awesome song. And I, I, I haven't been there yet, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be some four-part harmony up in heaven and in the new earth. And man, that was a beautiful thing. Thank you, Higgins family, for uh, sharing your gifts with us. That's one gift I'm a little bit jealous of, if I'm honest. I, I, I'm musical, but I don't have the ear to do that harmony. So I really appreciate, appreciate y'all sharing that with us. And I hope you were encouraged by that. Uh, we do serve an awesome and a holy God. So, uh, my name's Matt, and uh, thanks for letting me share with you. You didn't really have a choice, but uh, here we are. Um, uh, my family and I, we've been a part of Calvary Monument for about two years now. Uh, we were living in Colorado, where uh, my organization is headquartered, uh, called OMF. It used to be China Inland Mission, founded by Hudson Taylor way back in 1865. He went into China and did some missions, and we're still doing missions all over Asia, and my role is uh, I get to work with the short-term uh, missions, doing training and coordinating all the trips and everything. It's really exciting. Uh, we've got 20 or 30 people over there right now uh, in Japan and Thailand and Taiwan and also in Kenya. Uh, I don't know if you know, but there's a whole bunch of uh, Chinese that live and work in Kenya, and so we've got a team there uh, uh, working together with the Kenyan church, thinking how can we reach out uh, to the Chinese that are coming in here for construction and business and all kinds of things. So that's what I get to do day to day. But today uh, is an incredible privilege uh, to share the word of God with you. So we're going to be in Matthew 6. You can go ahead and turn there and we'll get to it in a minute. Let's put my notes together here. Actually, let's stop and pray uh, before we go. Lord, uh, you are a good God. Holy is your name. Uh, we come before you in this moment, this precious moment where we're all gathered together, Lord. Uh, we've been rescued by you. Uh, we've experienced your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. So we come and we offer our lives and we ask you to renew, renew our first love for you, Lord. Uh, turn our hearts toward you as Michael prayed. Um, draw us close, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daddy, daddy, watch me. Daddy, daddy, look at me. Daddy, daddy, come over here. Check this out. So all four of my children have said this kind of a thing to me their whole lives. Uh, they've begged me to look at them for something that they thought was pretty neat. Uh, maybe they built something with Legos. Uh, maybe they learned how to do a somersault. And the other day... Uh, my son, six-year-old son, Josiah, uh, was throwing an oven mitt up into the air, and it was flipping around, and he wanted me to see that. Okay, all right. Well, whatever it is, there's some kind of joy uh, that they feel when their father comes and sees them. And no doubt, all of us had this desire as we grew up in, uh, as children, whether it was our father or mother or whoever raised us, the people that were influential in our life, the people that we looked up to, we wanted them to see us. There's just something validating to know that someone sees you. And we continue to have this desire as we grow up. Teenagers have a way of uh, saying to their peers, like, hey, look at this cool thing. Um, as 
at school, we want our teachers and the administrators and our mentors to see the hard work that we put in. Coaches, see the hard work that we put in to be recognized for it and seen for it. Um, as adults, maybe it's at our job. We want coworkers and supervisors to see the effort that we're putting in and how well we've done and maybe get a little promotion or something, you know, get some uh, benefit for it. We all hopefully want our families and our friends uh, to see the nice, kind things that we do for them. Uh, and sometimes the opposite is true, too. When we feel that some injustice has happened to us, we've been hurt, uh, we hope and we pray. Sometimes we even protest because we want to be noticed. We want people to see the things that we've experienced. And there's, uh, a, again, a validation. There's like, okay, it, it's, it's not okay what happened to me, but it feels a little bit better that somebody else knows. Um, well, we have a God that sees us. We have a God uh, that sees our secret cries, our devotion, and our distress. Uh, one, one of the most powerful verses in the whole Bible is Exodus, in, in Exodus chapter 2, and you don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Um, I'm just going to read, starting in verse 23. So during the, this is, this is when uh, Exodus 2, the Israelites are in Egypt. Pharaoh forgot about Joseph. They've been oppressed for many years. During the many days, the king of Egypt Excuse me. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry from, for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I think I actually put a slide on this. Oh, oh, you guys are on top of it. Look at that. Way to go, team. There's something powerful about these verbs. God heard. God remembered. God saw. And God knew. It, it cuts across thousands of years, generations, cultures. There's something in like internal in our human nature that's massively comforting to know that God sees our suffering. He knows our deepest longings and he knows our deepest needs. He knows our desires. He knows the hurt we've received from people and he cares. This same God that saw and heard and knew the people of Israel speaks to us through the Gospel of Matthew. And that's where we're going to just jump into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. So here we go. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 18. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. 
and your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. So, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a big chunk of scripture, and we could probably spend many weeks on there. But uh, what I love to focus on here today is this phrase, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Who is the Father? What is this big deal about doing things in secret? And what is the reward? And how does all this contrast with what the hypocrites are doing? And why is it such a bad thing of what they're doing? So we've got three <clears throat> kind of parallel sets of passages in here. We've got one on giving, one on praying, and one on fasting. And they're structured. Hypocrites, don't, don't do what the hypocrites do. Do this. What the hypocrites did was uh, in order to be seen by men, but you do it in secret. Notice <clears throat> that what the hypocrites are doing are good things. They're doing righteous acts. That was the right, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Like these hypocrites are practicing righteousness. They're doing good things. So what's wrong with it? Um, we're learning sometimes even doing good, good, good deeds can come out of poor motives. So w when I was in a youth group growing up, they had this fantastic encouragement program, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they would hand out these difference maker awards. They would catch somebody in the act of doing something kind for someone else and give them uh, some kind of a recognition in a very youth groupy kind of a way. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was actually a fabulous, brilliant way to build a culture to teach the young people, us, to look out, like keep your eye out for how you can bless other people. But I wanted, I really wanted one of those, one of those awards. Uh, I like to get the awards. So 
if I, I don't remember any specific kind of instances, but I remember thinking if I was doing something kind for somebody else, like, are they watching? Do they see me? Like, who's, who's there? Who are, who are the people who decide who gets this award? But you can hear my hypocrisy coming out, right? My motivation for doing this kind thing was not to bless others. It was, de- de- it was I wanted to be recognized. I wanted the affirmation. I wanted the praise. I wanted the congratulation. But as we find out in this passage, even uh, when you're doing a good deed, if you do it with those kind of motives, the reward is ultimately fleeting and unfulfilling. So here we have, uh, in starting of verse 2, I believe, uh, the first set of parallel passages uh, regarding uh, giving. The, uh, let's see. The, we've got the hypocrites who Jesus alludes to that they announce their giving with a trumpet on the street corners and in the synagogue. They're doing a good thing. Again, they're following the law. They're being kind to the poor, it seems. Uh, Whatever they're giving up, their livestock, their money, their uh, crops, uh, they're doing the right thing. But behind all of it is not a desire to honor God. It's not a desire to worship. there's, There's no intention, it seems, to express dependence on God. Like, Lord, I'm giving this up as a way to demonstrate my trust in you. Instead, their actual desire, their deepest, strongest longing is to be seen by the people as a righteous person. They want the crowds to look at them and praise them and honor them more than they want to honor God with their giving. And maybe we don't have trumpets (laughs) when we give. Uh, At least I've never heard one since I've been here or in any church like, Let's do the uh, giving thing. I have been in churches where the tradition is that everybody lines up and comes up to the front. And there's, there's something powerful about that, of giving as a community. Uh, I don't think that's the hypocritical thing. But uh, we don't have trumpets, but sometimes we have cameras. <laughs> I mean, I, I work in short-term missions, right? There's, there's, some, there's some really negative, valid uh, stereotypes about short-term missions and cameras, right? We, we can, uh, for example, one, uh, on my first trip overseas, we went to the Dominican Republic with the church, big group of like 30, 40 people, and we went into this little village uh, to share the gospel and to give out some basic food staples to the, to the people there. Our church had donated a money so that they could buy rice and uh, beans and things uh, that the people could use for like a month or something. So it was a good thing. We're all praying like, God, save these people. But at the end of that, then uh, we were doing a good deed. Like I said, okay, I'll, I'll pick up this big bag of rice and carry it down uh, to the lady's hut. And okay, this is good. Um, but as we were going along, there's some guy, I don't even remember who he was, with like a camera in my face. And I'm like, you know, cataloging what we're doing and it's like there's there's good intention there maybe right we want the church back in indiana i grew up in indiana we want them to know what god is doing through the gifts that they give 
but there's also something very trumpety about what's going on. And, and imagine if you're the lady that's, you know, being cameraed. That's the, is that a word? Cameraed? There's got to be the <laughs> videoed. What's that? Whatever the word is, right? Filmed. Anyway. So we can, we can do that too. Maybe we don't have trumpets, but we have cameras. And we, do, we can do things in a way to give. So just as a thing. We're not just talking about those people way back there, those hypocrites, the trumpets, whatever they did. Like there's things that we have, uh, are able to parallel in our own lives. So coming out of that, Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Like don't stop giving, but give in a different way. And he gives the challenge to do the opposite, not the public thing. Don't give in public. If you really want to honor God with your giving, if you really want to show dependence on him, if you really want to worship him with your giving, do it in secret. (laughs) Do it so nobody else sees what you're doing, that only God knows what you've given. And then your father, who who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's go to the second one, to prayer. This one seems a little bit longer, but just verses... I was joking with Leanne, like, my, my eyes are not what they used to be. i got to look at this little print. Okay, uh, verses 5 and 6, right? This 5 and 6, we have, uh, let's see, this is the, oh, you guys are ahead. You, man, I don't even need to use this. They're on it. Good job, team. Okay, the second one, prayer. We've got the same attitudes, but in a different context. So we've got the hypocrites, they're praying in public, they're Making a big scene, it says uh, they're standing and praying in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Uh, Again, they're doing good things. Like, what's wrong with praying? Like, they could be using a lot of other words. They could be sending some other kind of message. Uh, But Jesus sees not just the outward action. He sees through the heart. And he can see that uh, their intentions are not to be close to God, but to make you think that they're close to God. Not to honor God, but for you to honor them. And the irony is the thing that they're praying for is not actually the thing that they want. When, when, When we go to prayer, we have requests. We come to God with some longing that we have. Uh, But in their case, the longing that they had was not matching whatever words that they were spewing out. The longing that they had was to be seen by the people, to be recognized, to be shown as a righteous, to be lifted up in the eyes of others, not not to be seen by their father. Um, And again, before we pick up our stones and cast them at all these bad guys, these hypocrites, let's pause for a moment and examine our own hearts. When you, when we encounter something challenging in life, is our first instinct to bring it before God? Or do we seek all of the human ways possible to fix the problem first? And then as a last resort, send out a prayer. Uh, Nothing else worked. I guess I'll try prayer. Right, And e- e- even when we do pray, 
when we come to God with our disappointments, when we come to God with our distresses, what is it that we're looking for from God? Are we looking to check a box to say, well, you've prayed about it. Uh, if, if it doesn't go my way, it's God's fault now, right? Because I told him about it. Are you looking to change a circumstance? Are you looking to change somebody else's attitude? Or are you coming to a father who loves you? Are you coming to him to put all of your hope and your trust in him? Are you letting go of the, your control in the situation and depending on God to step in and to provide what you need? And this is the challenge that Jesus gives us here. He says, instead of falling into the trap of just praying in public so that others will see you, he says, here, here's the challenge. Go where nobody else can see you, right? Go to a place, a room, somewhere where you're alone. And then trust that God, who sees in secret, will hear you, will see you. Uh, and Jesus, this is, this is incredible. Again, we have this repetition here uh, in verse 6. It's not just that Jesus sees you, or excuse me, that your father sees you. It's that the one who sees you will reward you. There's a promise that comes out here, which is really interesting. So, that's repeated in verse 4 and verse 6, and I'm going to skip over the Lord's Prayer for a minute. We'll come back to it, because there's something else going on there. Uh, and we're going to go ahead to verse 16 and look at the fasting passage. Uh, again, Jesus points out, it's same, same attitudes, different situation. Jesus points out that the hypocrites will... Um, make elaborate scenes. They go to extreme measures in order to be noticed by the people. Uh, again, they're probably, like fasting for us is a good, is a good thing. Like the Lord um, encourages us to fast in order to bless other people, in order to show our dependence on him. There's all kinds of, I mean, you, you, we're in a Bible church. You guys know the stories of all the people in scripture that have fasted and God has uh, answered their cries. There's like a longing, a desire that comes out of there. Um, not a topic that I really heard very much growing up and not a topic that I've heard us talk about very much. Um, I think in our world, it tends to be more about weight loss than it, tends, than it is about devotion. Um, but in the ancient times, and in other church traditions, uh, fasting is very much a, 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 a kind of a prayer, a, a, an act of sometimes desperation. Like, God, do you see me? <laughs> uh, to give up, to sacrifice in order uh, to express our dependence on God. Okay. But here... The hypocrites do something so ironic. It's, it's, it's like it slaps us in the face. Like, look at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. The author's playing on words, playing on uh, the image here. They disfigure their faces so that everyone else's faces will turn toward them. 
and notice them, right? But if they're truly devout, if they're truly devout, they ought to know the story of Samuel when he anointed David and God said to Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. Uh, They ought to have known uh, the scripture from Isaiah, Isaiah 58. Uh, I'm just going to read Isaiah 58, verse 6, but the whole chapter is really powerful um, dialogue about, or monologue from the Lord about fasting. Uh, God says in Isaiah, through Isaiah 56, chapter, chapter 56, verse 6, Is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every note? Fasting, in order to build up your religious credibility, is not the kind of fasting that God's looking for. God is looking for you to give up something so that somebody else can have something, a blessing, for you to show your dependence on God. So again, we've got um, back in Matthew 6 here, verse 17. Excuse me. Jesus turns this idea, this practice of the hypocrites, upside down and challenges not to make a big scene out of our religious worship, not to make a a big scene to disfigure our faces in order to be seen by others, but instead to seek God in secret. And this is something that I've struggled with a little bit, is it's very easy to take a passage like this that is so anti, um, what's the word, legalistic, and turn it into something that's legalistic. Like, oh no, if I'm not supposed to fast that way, then I must fast that way. So if I'm fasting, I can't let anybody know. Like, and that's really hard when you live in a family household with, of you know, six, or when you go to work and like, you're not eating lunch like you normally do or something like that. Okay, so back up, Matt. <clears throat> that's not what Jesus is saying either, right? That, there's a little caveat here, right? Don't take this like, your giving doesn't count in God's kingdom if you don't click the anonymous button, right? Your fasting doesn't count if your six-year-old son asks you, why aren't you eating lunch? And you have to tell him, oh, well, I'm fasting. Like, oh, man, you got me. Now it doesn't count, right? No, that's not how it works. The point is, God is challenging us to uh, come to him out of, again, I keep using this word dependence. Maybe there's a better word, but dependence, devotion. Um, do we trust God enough that if nobody else in the world sees that we're sacrificing uh, our eating, sacrificing our time or our energy or our sleep or our social media or whatever it is that you're fasting from, do we trust him to know the longings of our heart? Do we trust him to hear our cries? Do we trust him um, to understand the purpose behind what we're giving up and why we're giving it up? Again, Jesus makes this promise. He says, yes, your father does see you. He does see you. He sees what happens in secret, and he will reward you. Let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. This uh, bit is like from verse 17, sorry, 7 to 15 is a little bit different. It's not the same exact parallel, and 
I'm sure there's many reasons for that, but one uh, the thing that I want to point out is, let's say you're listening to Jesus talk, and you hear, okay, don't do what those hypocrites do, make big, loud scenes. Uh, but So, okay, all right, I'll go, and, I'll go and pray in secret. But I know in my world that there's a regular practice of, uh, uh, in other religions, other cultures, that when they pray, they use a lot of words. So Jesus says, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Uh, I think that creeps into, into the church. Like, well, maybe if God doesn't see me when I make a loud thing, maybe he'll hear me. Maybe, like, do you ever get caught, uh, not caught, or do you ever feel like when you're praying, you have to, like, turn a phrase just the right way, or uh, you have to say the right things in order for God to listen to you. In fact, this thought just came to mind. When I was 12, this is part of my story of coming to the Lord, like part of my fear, certainly there was a fear of hell, but I think part of my fear was that I didn't say the prayer of salvation the right way. Like maybe I, maybe I said the wrong thing and God isn't going to forgive me because I, I said it in the wrong way. And Jesus is saying here, no, your father already knows what you need before you ask him. The way that you ask is not going to convince him one way or the other. He already knows. Um, there is uh, th this concept of using many words and trying to get God's attention is a little bit more obvious overseas. So in February, uh, I got to go uh, to Nepal and in the Hindu temples and like they have these bells outside and every day you can see people they're going to the temple they're taking care of the idol and they they have this little bell outside and we're like what what is the bell for like isn't that annoying i mean churches have bells to ring we're used to right ring and say to the neighborhood hey it's time for church come on in uh, but these bells are not for the people they're for the spirits that they, they use the bells to wake up like if you don't ring the bell then whatever prayer or incense or offering that you're giving, it might go unnoticed because the spirit is sleeping or some other place in the world and he didn't notice it. So you ring the bell to wake up the spirit to see uh, your offering. And the same is true in, in Buddhist temples. The monks will lead people in these chants that are just like... Um, like like a train just like bam bam there's there's a there's a certain rhythm to them and the, there's one in Taiwan that I heard that was just so like it felt like sort of a battering ram like the people were just crying out with all of their beating being beating the door knocking on the door of the spirit or the idol like Maybe if I just hit a little bit harder, the spirit will notice and will bless me and will give me the things that I need. Bam, bam. And we can do that. We can do that in prayer sometimes, maybe too, with our God. We think maybe God didn't hear me when I, when I asked him the first time. Maybe if I 
come up with a better argument for God to, to convince him that this is the thing that I need, right? But Jesus says, no. <laughs> Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Our God is not aloof. He's not sleeping. He's not reading the newspaper. He's not distracted by his phone. He's not off in a distant land where we can't find him. He's not so pretentious that he demands that we wave our arms and scream and cut ourselves and shout and use all kinds of words and chants to wake him up and get him, convince him to pay attention to us. No. Our God is a father who loves his children. He's a father who loves to hear us. He's a father who loves to, and he, a father who sees us. He's a father who knows what we need before we even ask. He's a father with all the resources in the world at his disposal to reward us for our devotion. And he's faithful to keep his promises. Amen. But, what does it mean your, fa your father who sees in secret will reward you? Uh, what does it mean to have a father that sees? We talked about it, and we kind of felt it maybe a little bit earlier. I hope that you caught that. But there, there's one story in the Bible that, I, that comes to mind, and I have to go back to it when we talk about your father who sees. And that's in Genesis 16. I'm sorry, I don't have it on the screen, but um, you can look it up later if you want. So it's the story of Hagar. Hagar was the servant of Abraham and Sarah. And when Abraham got impatient with God, he said, well, maybe if I have a baby with Hagar, then maybe that'll be God's blessing. That I'll make God's promise come true through Hagar. So Hagar is sort of forced to be impregnated by Abraham and you know, for her, maybe it's a blessing, like, woohoo, I, I, I can get pregnant, but Sarah can't. So she gets a little attitude, and Sarah gets really mad. Like, sh the shame that she's feeling is intense. And so she's like, I don't want this girl around here. You know, and Abraham says, okay, just do whatever you need to do with her. And so Sarah begins to oppress her. And um, I, I, we don't know what it looks like. We don't know how she did it, but it was intense. Um, enough that Hagar decides to run. She's like, I've got all that I need here under Sarah's and Abraham's roof. I've got food. I've got shelter. But this thing that Sarah's doing to me is so hurtful that I'm just going to leave all of that behind and run away as a pregnant girl. So, we pick up in Genesis 16, verse 6. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, which, by the way, is the first time that anybody uses her name. Abraham and Sarah wouldn't even call her by her name. But the angel of the Lord did. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. I'm sure that's not what she wanted to hear. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. So Hagar's all alone. And she discovers that God sees her. And she has the privilege, the only one in the whole Bible that gets to give God a name. And the name that she gives him is, you are the God who sees. Hagar experienced God's presence um, in that moment. She knew that God cared for her. Even though she was sassy with Sarai, maybe, and... Um, She wasn't perfect, and yet God saw her. And God was still faithful to her in terms of God was faithful to his promise through her. But here's something that I learned when I was looking at this that is right there in the notes probably in your Bible. But guess what the word, the name Ishmael means? The God who hears. We have In this one passage, we have again the God who sees and the God who hears. He knows um, and he cares. So Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, I, okay, I want to explore this little second part of what's the reward? I've kind of always struggled with this passage. Like, am, am I supposed to do this secret prayer thing? Like, what am I doing it for? What is this reward uh, that Jesus is talking about because in in my mind reward I think sort of lottery maybe like woohoo I got I'm gonna get some money you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this good thing and God's gonna give me a, a you know a fancy kitchen up in heaven I don't know like like he's gonna there's some material blessing reward that it that that kind of is my natural way to interpret this uh, but. I want to look a little closer and see if we can see if there's something deeper going on here uh, that maybe is not caught at first glance. So if we're looking, we've been looking at these parallel passages uh, it, it, with giving, with, fat, with praying, and with fasting. And in each one, the, the hypocrite uh, does a, a righteous deed, and he does it in order to be seen by people. And then Jesus says, they received their reward in full. Well, what was their reward? To be seen by people. So if the passages are parallel, and Jesus said, instead of doing your righteous deed in front of all these people, do it in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Could it be that the reward is to be seen by God? Could it be that the eyes of the Lord are the reward? That to be seen and heard and known by God is the greatest reward that to know that he hears us to know that he knows what's in our hearts what's in our life and what's in our circumstance to um to to be in his presence right that to know that he's not aloof that we don't have to wake him up we can know that he's right here alongside us in the trenches and in the suffering and in the joys and in the sorrows of life the eyes of the lord are the reward um in Genesis 33, sorry, <laughs> I wrote Genesis. I meant Psalms. Psalms 33, I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 13. From heaven, 
the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He forms, he who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is drawn in vain for deliverance. Despite its great strength, it cannot see, save. But, in verse 18 it says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope are in his unfailing love. To be known by God and to know God is the greatest reward we can have in life. To be in his presence is the richest of rewards. There's no greater hope than to know that God sees us. And in, in a sense, this is where all of our lives are headed. This is, this is the hope that we have in Christ, that God would save us uh, from eternal punishment of being apart from God. Right? Our hope is that we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Revelation 21 says, uh, starting in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's hope. That's hope. That's the God who sees us, who knows us. So the challenge for us today is, what are you seeking? What reward do you desire? Is, it, is a relationship with God enough for you, for us, for me? Does his presence with you bring more comfort than whatever it is that you're asking him for? Do you believe that he sees you and hears you? Do you trust him with your concerns? Do you trust him with your life? God knows what you need. Your Father in heaven knows what you need both you as an individual you as a family you as a community you us as a church god knows what we need and you can trust him to see your secret devotion you can trust him to see your secret distresses and as sure as god is faithful he will reward you so as the worship team comes up let's pray Lord, your word is powerful. It speaks to us in different times and in different moments. And I don't know why it is that you gave this passage to me, Lord, for the people that are here in the auditorium and the people that may be watching online. Uh, Lord, you say that your word will never return void. So whatever it is, Lord, that you want to do in our hearts, Lord, may the Holy Spirit uh, convict us. May the Holy Spirit guide us and teach us and encourage us today. Thank you that you're not a God who is aloof. You're not a God who is distracted, but you're a God who sees us. Help us to take comfort and hope in that, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know that hope yet, Lord, please, Holy Spirit, uh, lead them to you. Draw them close. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.